Hey team, it's Matt Rinkine here. And you might have heard, my brand new book releases on Amazon on March 8th. It's been a labor of love that I think can really help you navigate some of the challenges you're experiencing in your own life. I go over toxic positivity and how to think you're in it for everyone else. In reality, you're in it for yourself. And I express that through this entire book and help learn from our own mistakes and how to turn the lens on ourselves and ask good questions. So go to Amazon on March 8th and you can get the Kindle version for only 99 cents. Just search for the book title, The Eternal Optimist. It's never too late. And you can download it directly to your device. That's it for me. Let's get into today's episode. Hello and welcome to the Eternal Optimist podcast. My name is Matt Drenkon. And I am your host today on this journey of life and the journey where we are going to listen to an inspiring speaker, share stories of overcoming tremendous adversity, and then how he then began to thrive. Team, as we dive in today, I invite you to go and give a rating and review to this podcast. It would mean the world to me, and I greatly appreciate anyone who does that. Also, come and follow me every morning, Monday through Friday at 7 a.m. Eastern on Eternal Optimist Podcast accounts on Facebook and Instagram. I do a live stream every morning. I also do it on YouTube at the Eternal Optimist channel. Thanks so much for that, team. So today, my guest is remarkable. He's overcome physical illnesses and lives with one today. He's been to the depths of low self-image so deep that his doctor told him that if he didn't change his lifestyle, he would die, literally. He's risen, risen from what he calls his dark storm and his comeback is inspiring. Today, he shares all this and much more. And he's got a great sense of humor. I mean, this man is amazing. His name is Ted Phaeton. Ted Phaeton, his Instagram account, it's fantastic. It's The Real Phaeton, P-H-A-E-T-O-N, The Real Phaeton, from cold ice plunges, to shots taken from his journaling, to his mastermind group, to exercise, to him being on stage and being an MC and also his mastermind group, the Noble Knights. And everything along the way, he adds his sense of humor, as an infectious charisma. Ted is an eternal optimist, and I had a great time speaking with him. I feel that once you start to hear his voice, you're gonna fall in love with Ted instantly, and you're gonna to wanna to meet him and be around him. He just has that kind of energy. So without any further ado, I welcome and introduce you to my new friend, Mr. Ted Phaeton. Enjoy. Hello, and welcome to the Eternal Optimist Podcast, the show for optimists by optimists. This is the show for people who see the good in the world and want to make a positive difference in the lives of their families and communities. Each week, you'll hear inspiring stories that will get you thinking bigger and playing more offense in life. With your host and high-performance coach, Matt Drinkon. It is my sincere pleasure and joy to bring you Mr. Ted Phaeton today. Ted is just lighting up the room already. He's got the green screen on. He's got the big smile. And we've already had a little bit of a conversation. So team, today, I think you're going to enjoy this conversation. Ted, welcome to the show, my friend. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on, Matt. Uh, yeah, I have the green screen behind me. The irony is my morning job, not my day job. My morning job is a meteorologist. So I spend a lot of time in front of one of these. So I figured it'd be appropriate for the podcast. Oh, wow. God. I mean, a meteorologist. Finally, finally. I've, I've never actually had a conversation with a meteorologist before. So I would love to ask, what got you into being a meteorologist of all things? Why meteorology? I tell people I fell up into it. And the reality is I used to hide the fact that 
my freshman year of college, I had a 1.9 GPA and it was a reflection of my effort, not a reflection of my intelligence. Originally, my master's was in computer science. I built a computer when I was 17. I thought computer engineering was the thing, but instead of going to Penn State for computer engineering, I went to SUNY Albany because my parents agreed to buy me a car if I went to the cheaper school. So I picked the car at 18. But computer science wasn't for me. 1.9 GPA, I'm failing out of school. I'm on vacation with some friends. Might be a little inebriated, trying to figure out what I'm doing with my life. And uh, I see a bird dive into the ocean. I start talking about the tide. I start talking about fish. And I'm nerding out, as I usually do. And my friend said something just nonchalant, like, Ted, how do you know this stuff? And because I thought it was common knowledge, right? I'm like, I'm interested. I read on this. And I was just, man, I just, I've always loved science. And I've always loved, you know, earth science. I actually used to tutor my classmates in earth science because that was my best subject. And my buddy just takes a sip of his drink and just goes, well, our school has a great meteorology program. (laughs) So I looked at him. I said, I'm going to do that. A lot of ups and downs behind afterwards because I go home, I sign up for all the weather classes, right? Like thermodynamics of the upper atmosphere. That sounds like weather. Um, (laughs) All the the makeups of like upper atmosphere, 105, yeah, this is the other thing. My sophomore year of college, 8.15 a.m. class, the first words out of my professor's mouth is, who's Ted Faden? I'm like, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh, that's me. He says, you're in the wrong class, but sit here for a while and tell me if this is what you want to do. So he proceeds to go on for 45 minutes, Matt, on things I've never heard of, like the chemistry and the physics and all the interactions of the atmosphere with thermal dynamics. And I'm just like, whoa. So he sits me down. He's like, okay, you need to take calculus one, calculus two. You need to take chemistry. You need to take physics one, physics two, before you can even sit in the class that you just were in. Do you still want to be a meteorologist? I said, yeah, let's do it. He's like, that's going to take you five years to catch up. I said, oh, okay, that's not an option. You got to call my dad and tell him. So he tells me, if you end up taking physics in the summer, and if you don't get below a 3.0 GPA for the rest of your college career, you might be able to graduate on time. Well, three years later, I'm standing there with a small group of broadcast meteorologist graduates, and they're sitting there talking. They're like, remember that poor kid? that the professor called out three years ago and he was in the wrong class. We've never seen him again. And I was like, nah, that kid was me. And I'm graduating with you guys. I got my degree in meteorology. (laughs) Wow. Well, at that moment when he first said to you that you got to do all this, all these hard courses to do this, and it's going to take five years to catch up. Is it the part of you that's you know, you were really driven to be a meteorologist or was part of it. I'm going to prove that person wrong because man, I'm Ted Fate and I'm challenged. I rise to the challenge. I mean, was it a combination of that or was it just your drive to be a meteorologist that was pushing you there? Honestly, I'll be transparent and honest. I think it was fear of my parents, <laughs> to be honest. And when I say fear of my parents, not in a negative way, but it was more like when he said, hey, you're going to have to go five years of school. I was like, you can call my dad and my mom and tell them that. Thankfully. I grew up in a household that had high standards and those standards were do your work, keep your word. The 1.9 GPA, my parents were not happy about it. And then they said, if I wasn't going to up my grades, they wouldn't pay for school anymore. Right. They were helping pay for school. So I owed them my effort. So at that point, I think it wasn't necessarily a challenge. I'm looking at Mike Landon was his name, my advisor. He's the one that handed me my diploma the three years later. I said, listen, that's not an option. Five years is not 
five, four more years is not an option. I'm one year in. I have to graduate in three years. So I did four years in school. I caught up. I didn't get below a 3.0 GPA, but I think I just looked at the reality. I said, what do I have to do to make this work? And he laid out a plan. And I was very much, if you give me a playbook, if you tell me what to do, we sat there for three hours. By the time I left his office, it was noon in the afternoon. It was an 8.15 a.m. class, 45-minute class. From <laughs> 9.30 to 11.30, we sat in his office and mapped out the next three years of my life. And I said, I'm going to follow this to a T. I'm not going to mess up. And I didn't. Wow. So the Ted that showed up there and mapped that out, it's the same person as the Ted that got the 1.9 GPA the first time around. What switch flipped in your head or what caused you to you know, get serious about it and then go get it? Was it the fear of the parents? Was it, what was it for you? I think the switch was I had to identify what I wanted in life. When I first got to college, I was doing what a lot of kids do when they first get a taste of freedom. I was not going to class. I was partying. I was joined a fraternity, right? Chasing all the women and chasing these things that I thought were important. But when the repercussions of my actions came out with a 1.9 GPA, I had to take a long look at Ted and ask myself, okay, what is it that you want to do? What is it you're doing here? Because Matt, like it wasn't working. <laughs> and the GPA showed that. I mean, I wasn't progressing in what I was doing. My field for computer science wasn't something I was passionate about. So for me, I had to really take a long, hard look at Ted and realize, what is it you want? What is your standard, first of all? And are you living up to it? And the answer was, I wasn't. And when I had the opportunity to study weather, my gut told me, yes, I like science. Yes, I feel pulled in this direction. When I sat down and I heard I was in the wrong class, the only thing that registered with me was, okay, well, what class am I supposed to be in? Because this is the path I picked. And it might be stubbornness. It might be knuckleheadedness. It might be persistence. But when I set my sights on that goal, like, this is what I'm doing. This is what I'm going for. You can tell me it's going to be hard, but that's not going to scare me. You can tell me this is going to hurt. But that's not going to scare me. You can tell me it's impossible. I see other people doing it, so I don't buy that. All I need is a playbook. And I'll do what's necessary to get to that outcome because I picked the outcome. And if you're not giving me the feedback or the process to get me there, I got to find somebody else. Well, can you chronicle a tale for us or a story for us? When you got out of school, you are now officially qualified to be a meteorologist. You've got the knowledge and it's far more, just by you talking about it right now, this sounds far more complicated and complex than the layperson at home would think. Oh, they, they talk about the clouds. It's a percent chance of raining. We don't really understand it because we're all simple at home. But now you got all this knowledge and you're thoroughly trained. You're ready to go. What was it like breaking into that career to kick things off? Slow. Slow. From the time I graduated to the first time I was on air was about three years. I worked at a law firm as a billing clerk for two and a half, three years before I ever got a job in TV. Those are some of the darkest days of my life. I got diagnosed with ulcerative colitis in that span, broke up with a girlfriend in that span, was hospitalized in that span, and really was lost for, for quite some time. That's why the first podcast I started was called No Rain, No Rainbows, because you know I was in a dark storm somewhere in the middle there. I wasn't happy with what I was doing. It's not that my job was bad working at the law firm that I worked at. My first mentor was the owner of the law firm. And to this day, I'm grateful and thankful that he gave me the opportunity. And even my last day, he said, hey, you'll always have a job here no matter what happens. And I'm thankful for that. But 
it just was very unfulfilling. One of those desk cubicle jobs that drain you. And I remember one of my coworkers, she was a paralegal there. And I said, oh, you know, what got you into paralegal? And she said, after she graduated high school, she started working at the law firm. And then she got married, she had kids. And she said, next thing I know, you know, I was here 10, 15 years. Matt, that scared me. That was probably the first time, like, I really would say, like, I could look back and I felt fear for something that wasn't in front of me. Just her story of like, next thing I know, 10 years went by and I'm still here. I started shaking. I started sweating. My palms got sweaty and I was only there for like a year and a half. I can't be here in 10 more years. I can't, this is not what my life's going to be. And that's really what kind of put the fire under my butt to start my own company, start trying to get experience as a meteorologist because the year was about 2010. We were still bouncing back from 2008. So everywhere I was applying said, hey, you need experience. How do I get experience if no one hires me? That's the cash 22, right? Then I realized I work at a law firm. My boss is actually a mentor of mine as well. And I sat down, I said, I want to start a company. And that law firm represented my company. They helped me get my LLC started, my EIN. I partnered with three guys that we all put in for a camera. And then we would host and we would go to different events in the area in Long Island. I would put out forecasts on YouTube and I would say the events that were happening along with the weather. And then we'd go record the events. It was checkzaza.com. That was our interactive media company. Failed miserably because of poor leadership on my part, but it was my first hand at entrepreneurship. It was also my way of getting weather experience. So when I applied to jobs, they said, any weather experience? I said, yep, you should call my boss. He'll give me a great review. <laughs> I'm curious. So you said, so you failed miserably at it. And yet today you're here doing what you want to be doing. So I'm curious, what is your definition of failed miserably back then? Yeah. Back then failed miserably was lost money. The business shut down, letting down those around me, but also it was not getting the outcome that I had hoped for. And that's something I still work with, with this day is my relationship with failure. Because I mean, I could look back and say the business was a failure, but the practices bred success, right? So the business failed because like three friends, hey, let's be 25% ownership. Each of us have a quarter of the business. That's great. Who makes the decisions? Oh, each of us have our own idea of where things are going. Okay, nobody was wrong for wanting to do something different than somebody else. But the problem was there was no direction. So that was where I would look back and say, maybe to reframe it, not necessarily the failures, but the lessons in it. The business never went anywhere because we had four heads. And with four heads, we kind of kept going around in a circle. One person wanted more events. One person wanted more weather. One more person wanted more of the websites and blogs. And we had no identity. So for that, we never took off. We never got off the ground. So when I finally decided to first fire my best friend, that was a hard conversation. That was a conversation of Matt. This was, you know, from high school through college, we're out of college now, and like we did everything together. We're doing this business together, and I had to take him outside with one of our business meetings. I said, listen, I don't think this relationship's working out. The value of the company right now is less than what you put in, but I'm happy to give you your fair share of the capital that we have, and maybe it's best that we part ways. That was hard. Wow. You know? Yeah. But hindsight being 2020, those were the practices that helped me and prepared me for things that came down the line in life. Being able to go through that, look in hindsight, sure, at the time I took it hard as a failure, but in reality, these were the stepping stones 
and the foundation that led to what was eventually successful for me in the future. One thing I want to appreciate about you, Ted, is so subtle. You've used the word grateful already a few times in our conversation. You've talked about all this hard stuff that you have endured, and yet I still see a giant smile. I still see that these were all lessons I learned. I still see this, I kept going and I figured it out mentality. And I wonder, is that something when you talk about upholding your own standards, is that something you learned from your family growing up? Is that something, I mean, how did you develop that? Because I think that's the gist of being an eternal optimist is being able to learn how to recover, maybe recover quickly, or how to take these lessons and move forward with them. So where did that originate with you? And how do you keep refining and practicing this keep moving forward mentality that I keep feeling in our conversation. Perspective is everything, right, Matt? Fortunately or unfortunately, the perspective I had was, you know, being the child of two immigrant parents and not just two immigrant parents, but two immigrant parents who focused a lot on education. They would work overtime. I went to a private school, not the public school, because they wanted me to get the best education. So there wasn't much I could complain about because I would hear stories of my dad in his 20s moving to this country for the first time with his siblings, 10 of them sharing a one-bedroom apartment, right? We're talking six adults, four kids sharing a one-bedroom apartment. My mom studying in Belgium nursing overseas, being in Belgium, not having heat overnight, sipping whiskey to stay warm. So when I'm coming home from school, like, I had a terrible day, Uh, There was empathy, but there was also reality, right? There's the reality of like, do you know how much you have compared to what you might not have? And I'm also growing up in a neighborhood. I'm on Long Island, Brentwood, Long Island, where it wasn't the richest town. I lived on a great block, but down the block was a house where the teenage son sold crack to the mom to pay rent and pay the mortgage for the house. Then I get on the bus And I get to school where a 17-year-old girl is crying her eyes out because her dad got her the base model BMW. And the football player is selling weed out of the back of his H2 Hummer because it's cool. And I'm just seeing this huge divergence, right? Like this perspective of, man, here are people who have to do this. And here are others who think it's cool. And I remember my parents were like, well, we didn't want you to get into drugs and alcohol. And I was like, oh, there was drugs and alcohol at my high school. It was just different. If anything, it was the harder stuff. Instead of the 40s, you know, the blunts at school, it was cocaine, pharmaceuticals, and Goldschlager. They were there. But thankfully, my parents taught me to avoid all of that. <laughs> so it wasn't captivating on one side or the other. I was just taught to avoid it altogether. But that perspective gave me the duality and the reality of when people said, oh, if you want more money, work harder. That didn't make sense. Because I'd go to these classmates' parties and their parents are on vacation in the Caribbean. They're never home. They have this big house and my parents can't take a day off because they're working overtime for me to even go to the same school. So working harder for more money never like equated to that. But I understood the importance of work ethic. I understood the value of family and education. And being able to see that, it helped me appreciate everything that I have, especially as I got older. I think as kids, we take a lot for granted. As a teenager, as an adolescent, I know I wasn't always the most grateful of kids. And, you know, when I finally got into my 20s, when I had to pay my own bills for the first time and I realized the reality of life, you know, I had a good long conversation with my parents with, you know, the gratitude for the life that they gave me because I actually understood the weight of it. Wow. 
And now, a quick break for a sponsor. Today's sponsor of the show is a shout-out to a dear friend and to a show that I've had the privilege to guest on, Unlock Your Excellence, with host Mike Higgins. A show dedicated to inner peace and clarity that we are all seeking. Mike asks great questions that empower us to discover the greatness within all of us. Mike's a real estate entrepreneur with great business acumen, and he has a, a family on the on the back end that just makes me well up a little bit. He's got five kids, and he's an amazing family man that I got to know through the Front Row Dads. Mike's awesome. For an intriguing listen on strategies to help unlock your potential, listen to Unlock Your Ex- Excellence podcast and enjoy. Now, speaking of great listens and podcasts, let's get back to our show. You talk about perspective and some people get to, some people have to, some people it's survival, some people that think it's cool. I mean, all of that put together, you appear to have a, a very diverse perspective. Like you've seen a lot there. So taking what you've seen there and then going through school and then getting out of school, you mentioned that you had a truly dark storm of a time as you were building your first company. You mentioned that there was an emotional breakup. I would like to kind of hone in on something. You said that you had a health issue. Can you talk a little bit about how that impacted you? Because I'm not too familiar with ulcerative colitis. And what was that like finding out about that and dealing with that? So ulcerative colitis is very similar to Crohn's disease. And really what it is, it's an autoimmune disease, which impacts the large intestine. It limits your ability to absorb nutrients. At the time, I'm working a job that stresses me out, long hours, not with my core values, and I'm spending the weekends with what little money I have from that job going to the bars in New York and drinking. And then I'm coming home eating fast food three, four days a week while my mom has a healthy meal cooked for me. I would just go to my room. I was in a bad mental space. I started having some bathroom problems, started having some hard time maintaining my weight. And I was losing weight, didn't know why, and stomach pains. And it ended up being the autoimmune disease, ulcerative colitis. After getting diagnosed, I was on meds for a little bit. And after a year or so, the doctor said, hey, let's try coming back off these meds. I was medicated, but my habits never changed. So coming off of the medicine, I had a flare-up, which is pretty much your large intestines not absorbing nutrients anymore. Your body's attacking itself, and it ended up landing me in the hospital. I lost 30 pounds in 30 days. I don't recommend that workout plan or diet plan for anybody. It's not fun. (laughs) I'm in the hospital, and (laughs) the nurse is writing down, like, today's goal is keep down liquids because I would throw things up. It hurt to eat, so my body wouldn't want it anymore. The goal was like, let's keep liquids down. Let's keep soft food down. I'm in the hospital. Matt, I'm never going to forget the first meal I remember. It was meatloaf, crushed up peas, and mashed potatoes. And I was like, somebody called a chef in here. They put their foot in this. This is amazing. This is like a gourmet meal because like I haven't eaten in like a month. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, like this is hospital nice. food, folks. And I'm like going nuts. This is amazing. Pass me the salt. <laughs> but that was the dark days. I was in the hospital for two weeks there. That was also where my shift in life happened. That was where the doctor came and put into perspective, I was doing it all to myself. At the time, I couldn't get a job in weather. I was blaming being black. I was blaming the world. I was blaming everything for me not being able to get a job in weather. Was not having the best relationship with my girlfriend at the time. And when the doctor came in, he asked me some questions which changed my life. He said, what has your diet been like? I'm eating fast food. No one's making me do that. What's your stress levels like? It's very high. Who are you talking to? I'm not talking to anybody about my mental health. I'm just bottling it up. 
Okay, what habits do you have on the weekend? Speaking of bottling up, I'm popping bottles on the weekends. That's not good. You're drinking in excess. You're not talking about your mental problems and you are recluse and you are showing signs of depression. These are all things that impact your gut. These are all things that impact your autoimmune disease and can also be the reason you're in this hospital bed right now. That was a huge mirror into, wow, I did this to myself. I put myself in the hospital. So I remember texting my girlfriend at the time, and this is December 2012. I said, hey babe, grab an ornament off of the tree and bring it in. And I put it on my IV pole. First, I was working on getting my energy back. When I started keeping food down, I walked the room. Then I started walking the hallways. And I had the ornament hanging off of my IV pole, walking up and down the hallways. And the nurse like, what is that? I'm like, this is my Christmas tree. <laughs> right? Nice. Back up off me. This is my <laughs> Christmas tree. And finally had a CAT scan. The surgeon came in. Uh, this was a bad day. This was a scary day. The surgeon came in and they said, listen, the, the steroids aren't working. You've been on morphine for a while. We might have to rush you to Mount Sinai and take the larger test. I'm like, it's got to go. I'm 23 years old, bro. <laughs> and what? Wow. Just hmm. so folks know where my mindset was, when the surgeon said that, I looked the surgeon in the eye. I said, take it. Take my large intestine. Because it was hurting so bad. It was like, get rid of it. He's like, complications of the surgery is like, you know, 18, 20%. I don't care. Take it. Thankfully, they did a cast scan the next day. Steroids showed that they were working. Large intestine intact. I'm good. I got discharged a couple days later. But going home that day, Matt, same highway I've been on a hundred times, but the grass was greener. The sky was bluer. The clouds were wider. I had a different perspective on life. And I just remember, I'm not seeing things the way I used to see it. I'm different. About a month after I got discharged from the hospital, a month and two weeks, I'm on top of a mountain snowboarding again. I was working out again. I wasn't drinking as much. I was practicing healthy habits. Pretty much a year later, I was accepting my dream job to be a meteorologist and start my career. Wow. You were in the hospital. You were down and out. You were in a tough spot. You were getting ready to lose your large intestine. And by the grace of God, or by your doctor making this statement and all of your standards coming back and the perspective finally hitting you, something hit you and you made the switch. And a year later, you're now getting ready to start and embark on your dream job. Yeah. And if I may, you say by the grace of God, I remember praying the first week because you're in the hospital. I call it an innocent man's prison right? You have a roommate. Everybody wants to know what you're in for, how long you've been in and, and all that. <laughs> so <laughs> my first week I was in the room by myself. And I remember Good Samaritan Hospital was the hospital. And I remember praying and, you know, it's a scary place at night. And then one day they brought in this Italian guy who didn't speak English. My mom being a registered nurse, she would come in, she'd help me, she'd help him. I remember he couldn't get the phone to work. I let him use my cell phone to call his family. They speak Italian. I don't know a lick of anything. The day I'm getting discharged, finally, the guy's doctor comes in and he's talking to him in Italian and everything. And he like pointed at me and I guess he was telling the doctor, like, this guy's been so helpful. He's been a blessing. He's been a blessing. He's been a blessing. And the guy looks at me. He's like, oh, you guys have been roommates. I was like, oh, yeah, you know, we spent the last week together. He's like, oh, you, you've truly been touched by God. And I was like, oh, why? Apparently, he used to be the barber for the Pope. And I'm like, all this time, I'm praying to God, help me out. God sent me to Pope's barber. <laughs> I didn't need a haircut at the time. <laughs> but it was one of those things where like, man, you, you never know who you're interacting with, regardless of the language, Barry, regardless of what you never know what you're 
next to and what you're interacting with or what someone else is going through. So that was a huge full circle. Like, wow, this is the Pope's barber right next to me. I had no idea all week. This is phenomenal. What an interesting coincidence. Thank you for gracing us with this perspective. I feel like I could keep asking you about challenges. You can keep sharing stories of overcoming over and over again. I'd like to transition and give our audience a taste of, you know, now that you are a professional meteorologist living that dream job, there's also so many other things you're involved in that are helping and serving other people, serving the world. And I'd love to dive into what is your why and your passion right now today in your life. You could list off, when I say passion and things that are driving you, what comes to mind now for you, Ted? Ah, man, these conversations, right? I might get emotional tearing up because growing up having the gift of gab, now I speak for a living. I have a six-hour morning show, and then here I am after a workout sitting here doing a podcast with you. Like, haven't I spoken enough, right? (laughs) But the passion is just human interaction, connecting with people, Specifically, connecting men in pursuit of their potential is really where my heartstrings have pulled in the form of men's mental health because it's such a dark world for so many of us. And my wife and I were talking about this the other day of how women are so good at talking about their emotions and women are so good at their camaraderie and friendships and whatnot. Men, we tend to be reclusive, we tend to be isolated. As somebody who went through that dark period, I had a lot of friends around me, Matt, but when I was in the hospital, I didn't know how to pick up the phone and call any of them. I didn't know how to have that real conversation with, hey, I'm not good. I think now because of that, human interaction is huge, but I really think it's important for us as men to have these intimate relationships with each other. And when I say intimate, there's different levels of intimacy, not physical intimacy, but intellectual, emotional intimacy, kind of what we're doing right now. We could talk about the John Jones fight. We could talk about the game last night. We could talk about a number of things, but like there's no weight or substance to that, right? I have a t-shirt that's called hashtag you good question mark. And it's the hashtag that's about like, we don't ask each other as men enough. How are you doing, man? Who's checking in on you? Because the world is heavy. We carry a lot. And I know a lot of us guys, especially You know, men like you and anyone listening that might be ambitious and try and do a lot of things in the world, men and women, a lot of people rely on us. And that's important. And we want to show up for them. We want to be ready to show up for them and as our best selves. But the unfortunate thing is we can't carry the weight ourselves all day, every day. So we need someone that we can share the weight with, communicate with. And that's really where my heartstrings have come to because I've been blessed. I've been lucky after getting into the career to experience growth. I went from being a meteorologist, I was a morning anchor for five, six years. And then now I'm back to meteorology again. I've been able to touch both. And I've seen how putting in the work, following the playbook, the consistency over time pays off. And there's so much joy in that growth, but it's a lonely road if you're not giving to anyone else while doing it. It's gonna be an endless chase if you're doing it for money. And that's the thing I I like to say is, Everything I get paid for to do today, I first started doing for free. I was a meteorologist for free when I was at the law firm. I was getting paid to be a billing clerk, but I woke up early to forecast and tell people what the weather was going to be. Now I get paid for it, right? I was a podcast host spending money and time to record podcasts, connect men and talk about this before anyone pays me a dollar for it. So for anybody that's listening, there's so many things that we do in life to chase the dollar, to chase the life, the keep up with the Joneses, but what is something that you do that no one has to pay you a penny to do? And that's probably what's going to make you rich. That's probably what the world needs from you as a gift. 
And that's kind of where my heart and my passion has been is like, money is not the motivation. I want it to be the symptom of what I do. Mm, that's deep. I love that. And I'd love to talk a little bit about you know how you're doing that, how that manifests in the world. I've got one of your websites pulled up here. Can you talk a little bit about the Noble Knights and a little bit about uh, your men's mastermind group? I found it fascinating just starting to look at the website before our discussion today. So how did you start that? Why did you start that? And where is it now? Yeah, that started when I first was doing men's conferences, connecting men in pursuit of their potential. We were talking a lot about issues men face and things that we go through. And the recurring theme kept being men need space. Oh, men need space. Men need space. And instead of talking about the problem, I wanted to be part of the solution. So why not create that space? So for me, I think it's a hard sell to tell men, hey, I got a support group for anyone that's struggling in life. We could talk about our problems. That doesn't sell well to us men. You know, yeah, it doesn't <laughs> sound like the masculinity definition of the generation of maybe our parents that we get together in a support group. Even just saying the word support group brings up and conjures up something that I don't know if I'd want to talk about from years ago. I love the idea of support groups now, and I love what you do now. And I'm in a sub a men's groups right now. Before I had the courage to go out there and seek that, it felt like there was a stigma to it to find a support group. How are we breaking through that? How do you break through that? So I would, I would actually say, and I would argue that maybe it's not support groups that we need, right? So the goal and the mission is connecting men in pursuit of their potential because what we need is community. The community provides the support. We've heard all the time, it takes a village. And the reality is all we need is the community. And as we are like-minded, as we are chasing something, as we are building those relationships. If I can share my vulnerabilities in business, that makes it easier to share my vulnerabilities in marriage. If I have the relationship with you in terms of like, hey man, I'm really trying to get past this challenge and getting leads for my business. You know, I'm ambitious, I'm trying to do things. Ever since I moved away from home, I've been the youngest of my friends. I've always had male friends who were, my wife pointed out, all your friends are always doing something. They're entrepreneurs, they're growing businesses, they're getting after it. That's just who I am. That's in my blood, right? And because of that, we are sharing our challenges in business, our challenges in you know getting our next sale and things. But also, because we build that camaraderie and we build that relationship, we're also sharing our challenges in the gym when we're trying to work out and we hit a plateau and then with our diet and then we are off our game a little bit. And like, hey, man, what's going on? It's like, ah, you know, my wife and I haven't been communicating well lately. Maybe that's taking up some cognitive time. Well, okay, man, well, forget this workout. Let's sit down, have a beer. Let's talk it out. Like, you okay? And because of those relationships, the support is going to be an outcome. The support is, like I mentioned before, is a symptom. I like saying the symptoms of things because that's what we do in our healthcare world, right? A lot of doctors are like, I went to a doctor when I was 27 years old because I had shoulder pain and knee pain. He said, oh man, you're getting old, take aspirin. No, this is a symptom of something and the aspirin is going to treat the symptom. I'm looking for the cause. A lot of us focus more on the symptoms than the cause. So that's why I say, I want the money to be a symptom. I want the support to be a symptom. The actual cause of that support is because we have community. We have camaraderie and we have that connection with each other where I could be vulnerable with you in this aspect, or we went through a workout together. We went through something hard together and challenges with others builds bonds. So that's where I think the value and the squeeze is us as men, it doesn't have to be a support group because yeah, it's taboo and no one's interested in that. Well, that's not what modern man is. 
But that's not what the Noble Knights Mastermind is. The Noble Knights Mastermind is we had the call yesterday about, hey, how can I package my offer differently to these clients that I'm chasing because I want to win? And everybody in that group was like, bro, I want to see you win too. We're trying to solve these business problems or we're trying to solve these issues that we're trying to scale up. So that community, the symptom becomes growth in business and also support for when things get a little dicey. And that's really what the mastermind's all about. Support, accountability, and of course, community. If someone were interested in finding out more, what might a first step be, a first entrance into the community? How might someone do that, especially if they want to know more? At the same time, this is new for them. There's a little bit of a trepidation. How would I discreetly find out more and, yeah. and get involved? Absolutely. I appreciate the opportunity. Uh, very easy to find, themodernmanpodcast.com. I-, I would say start with the podcast. Start with the YouTube channel. We don't have to jump in head first, right? We don't have to get married on the first date, but here's some of the guests that we have and some of the stories that they share. All the links are very easy to find once you go to the modernmanpodcast.com. But yeah, check out the podcast. Let me know what you think. And it's very easy to find the link to the Noble Knights to join. We meet weekly on Wednesdays at 6 p.m. via Zoom. And we also have a Discord channel where we stay in constant contact with each other just to continue to share our wins, share our challenges. There's times and spots in there to talk about the sports and things and current events, but it's really just building community. And the best way to get to that community is themodernmanpodcast.com. When I looked at the website earlier, the first thing that popped up when I saw it, I saw you had on there, if I'm not mistaken, Taj Boyd was a former Clemson quarterback, if I'm not mistaken. He was a quarterback, wasn't he? Yeah, he was Uh, the quarterback. I saw him on there. Yeah, I went to your social media channel on Instagram and I saw you like, getting a bunch of a bunch of bags of ice and putting them in a barrel and taking an ice bath one morning. So for those of you out there, Ted, he is not completely off his rocker, but he is committed to doing, you know, whatever it takes to find that empowerment, to find that potential. Like I've seen it firsthand. It's got a very entertaining Instagram channel. So feel free. What's the Instagram handle on your channel? The one that I saw. Yeah. So there's Modern Man Podcast is the Instagram channel for the podcast. And the one you saw was the real Fate and Forecast. My original was was hacked. And that's P-H-A-E-T-O-N, the number four, K-A-S-T. Real fate and forecast. It's an entertaining place if you want to smile and also a challenge. I think that you'll find some value there. I've certainly found it very entertaining and positive. And you're super engaging in all these things, too. Why do you always have a smile on your face? I've I've not seen you without one. You're talking about all this hard stuff and the vision of the future. You always have this inviting, warm smile. Why is that? I mean, there's just so much to be thankful for, Matt. I mean, I practice gratitude and listen, I've even prayed to God and said, thank you for the challenges and thank you for not giving me the things that I wanted when I wanted them. I don't know what the next year holds. I don't know how much time I have on this earth, but when I wake up, there's an opportunity for me to show up the way I am for somebody. And, you know, that's a gift and I want to cherish that. I want to appreciate it. If I'm responsible with little, I will be gifted with a lot and I don't want to take the world that I have for granted because I know where I came from. Life has its ups and downs. And just seeing where my parents came from, I always say that my story starts from Capayacion, which is Northern Haiti, where my dad came from. My mom came from Port-au-Prince, but my dad didn't have power 24-7. And he would have to get water for the village. He talks about playing soccer with the storm drains at the end of the street with a bottle cap or an orange. And if they only had one bottle cap or one orange or one piece of fruit to play soccer with, if somebody scored within the first five minutes, they'd be pissed because the game was over. So I've seen so much lack in this world. 
that it's hard not to see the abundance that we live amongst. Sure, I have my rough days. I have my down days. and Who doesn't? But at the end of the day, while there's breath in my lungs, my best days are ahead of me. And that's what I'm here for. Awesome. I wonder, because you've kind of covered the gamut here. You've covered what was hard back in the day, the challenges overcome. You've covered this glorious mission we have now to empower men's mental health through community, through this amazing mastermind, the Noble Knights, the Modern Mastermind. I'm looking at the website right now, themodernman.gumroad.com. Correct. Yeah. That's the one that I'm looking at. I'll have that in the show notes, a Modern Man Mastermind. What is... um. What is the modern man today or masculinity today? What does that mean to you? I mean, I think it means showing up. Modern meaning ever-changing. The, the man my father is a lot of who I've become, but the world that we live in is different. And the time my dad grew up is different than the time that I'm growing up in. So when I think of modern man, I think of ever-changing and evolving with the times while still holding on to some of those conservative, strong values that we lean into as men. Dependability, integrity, character, they don't erode over time. Those things are timeless to me. And because of that, I hope to be the foundation and the rock for my family, someone my wife can depend on, someone my kids could look up to as an example, and be a leader of my own life, in essence, by leading my own life, leading those around me through the example that I set. So when it comes to being a modern man, it's showing up, taking the arrows by going first, being dependable and doing what's hard when you have to. What do you mean by going first? Oh man, going first. Funny story. My wife and I were getting ready for vacation, right? And we're at the grocery store and there's a deal, buy one, get one free for ice cream. But we, we talked about wanting to eat healthy. So I said, babe, you can get the ice cream. I don't want it. She's like, oh, it's buy one, get one free. I'm like, I don't want it. We talked about eating healthy. I'm keeping my word and that's what I'm going to do. And she got a little huffy. She stopped off like, fine, I'm not going to get it either then. And I'm like, what? You, you, can, you can get the ice cream. I'm not telling you not to get the ice cream. She's like, no, you're not getting the ice cream. You're making me feel bad. I don't want to get the ice cream anymore. Okay. And that's what I mean by going first. Those little things, right? We keep ourselves accountable. We lead our lives. Others will follow suit. So I want to live a healthy lifestyle. Cool. My wife and I say we want to live a healthy lifestyle. Cool. You know, when I'm actually going forward with that, she follows suit because, you know, I'm holding strong to that. Our kids, we have our values hung up. I got my wife this for Christmas and a small little gift, an auxiliary gift of our values printed in a word cloud as a heart. And it's hung up. And she's like, oh, this is awesome. I was like, yeah, and we're going to keep this on display because when our kids grow up, they're going to see our values. They're going to call us out when we're not living to those values. When we're not living with the trust, with the faith, with the family, with the growth, with the contribution, with the love, our kids are going to call us out with those the lack of us following those values that we've established on the wall. So when I say go first, my wife and I sat down, we established our values, and I'm going to do my best to stay accountable to that for myself. And there's times where she's got to lead me when I'm trying to get a scoop of ice cream. And she's like, nah, babe, you don't need the scoop. And I'm like, yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> well, if it is a scoop of ice cream, what is the, what is the scoop? Is it a Ben & Jerry's, like some kind of crazy Ooh. brand? Or are you just straight up vanilla, chocolate? Like, we go, what is your brand? I like, so I, I like regular vanilla, but you have to have Reese's Peanut Butter Cups on top. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. the one. That's, that's, nice. that's how I do it. <laughs> nice. Like it, like it. Well, I was looking in our notes beforehand and somehow the phrase, no more Mr. Nice Guy, 
came up. <laughs> and I'm wondering what that phrase might mean to you. No more Mr. Nice Guy. Yeah. Honestly, that was the book that really started my modern man journey. Uh, just no more Mr. Nice Guy. I used to compromise my priorities and I used to compromise my habits for everybody around me. I was a people pleaser. And most of it was chasing women. I say, oh, this is my workout schedule. But if a girl wants to hang out, whoop, forget that. I'm coming. And what's interesting is I'm reading the book, No More Mr. Nice Guy, and it really just opened up my eyes to, you have to be selfish in order to, to be selfless. If your cup is empty, you can't pour into anybody. So what I realized is I'm compromising all these boundaries I am setting for myself, workout boundaries, diet boundaries, study boundaries, and things like that. And because of that, I'm trying to make everybody else happy, but then growing resentful of those relationships and blaming them for why I'm not where I want to be in life. The funny story behind that is halfway through the book, I'm learning to kind of be stagnant. And my girlfriend, now wife, she came to the apartment because we were going to go to a pool party, but she was early. And I let her in. I'm still in pajama pants and a wife beater. And I said, hey, I'm not done folding my laundry yet. Would you mind kind of hanging out for a little bit while I kind of finish my laundry really quick? And I'm folding my laundry and everything. And I go, I shower, I change, and we go. She tells me to this day, that was the first time she ever found me attractive. And part of it was because I was wearing a wife beater. She saw I had some arms because I was sticking to my gym routine, right? I was finishing my chores. I was displaying to her like, hey, I stick to my chores. I'm exuding the confidence of my priority list. And by sticking to that, I found that the things I've always wanted in this world by quote unquote, no more Mr. Nice Guy, sticking to my priorities, sticking to my agenda, bred those things that I was looking for. And it also gave me more abundance to be selfless. That is a nugget of wisdom for the listeners. Go back and re-listen to this. Exuding the confidence that comes from following your priorities list and having that discipline to do that. I love that. That's great. I made a note of this. I'm going to come back and listen to this one. That was really, really good. A good nugget. See, if you listen to these to these podcasts, you might get a nugget of wisdom or two. Ted's just full of wisdom here. I stumble on uh, here this and is there. Good. <laughs> Every once in a while. That's right. Well, Ted, I'd love to ask, what are any other social media channels or websites or places that our listeners, if you could recap for us, where might we find out more about you and your journey, Ted? Yeah, absolutely. I'm active on Instagram at The Real Fate and Forecast. Also at the Modern Man Podcast is a great channel to find me as well. TheModernManPodcast.com, TheModernMan.Gumroad.com for the Noble Knight for the Noble Knights group. That's also a great way to join the Noble Knights community and hop into our mastermind, our Discord channel, and join some other guys, like-minded men who are really kind of crushing it and getting after their goals as well. And I'm always available too. If anyone's ever in the Charlotte area and you're up early in the morning, 4 a.m. to 10 a.m. Put on Queen City News, the local Fox channel. I'm your meteorologist. I'll tell you what the weather is, and I'd be happy to keep you nice and safe while you're in the area. Okay, okay. So from 4 a.m. to 10 a.m. Eastern Time, you are on the local Queen City News, on the local Fox affiliate here in Charlotte, North Carolina. Do you have like a real-time live feed that if anybody's watching can like tweet you or hit you up somehow? Because I'm an early riser. I would love to watch and see what's the first time that I'm going to see you on the air. Is it 4.06 tomorrow morning? Is it 4.28? Like, <laughs> I'm curious because I want to watch it. 4 a.m. on the dot. <laughs> exactly 4 a.m. Your face 4 is going to pop up. Hey, I'm <laughs> Yeah, we have like a 15, 20 second like opening montage of the Queen City and then it opens up my co-anchor Julian and I 
wake you up bright and early. Like, hey, good morning. Here we nice. are. Big smiles on our face. Nice. Well, can you give it to us? Can you give us a sampling? All right. Yeah, get ready, everybody. Here it comes. This is this is for real. So he says, I'm Julian Shador, and I go, and I'm meteorologist Ted Bate with your pinpoint weather forecast. We're looking at a beautiful afternoon. Lots of sunshine, highs getting into the mid-60s, which is just slightly above normal for this time of year. But then we're going to have some increasing cloud cover. Showers come overnight. Don't forget the umbrellas for your Friday morning. <laughs> oh, my God. Ladies and gentlemen, watch out. This is the real... Ted Phaeton right here. This is the real Phaeton. That was awesome. Ron Burgundy, eat your heart out. That was great. Uh, good stuff, man. Good stuff. Well, you've shared a whole bunch of wisdom today and given us something to smile about because you've overcome so much stuff and still got the big smile. So I'm going to challenge you here with the lightning round of questions. Okay. Ding, ding, ding. Let's get started here with the lightning round. So Ted, when I say uh, eternal optimist, what does eternal optimist or eternal optimism, what does that mean to you? Abundance abundance we're surrounded by so much abundance in life if we just take a moment to really look around there's so much to be thankful for there's so much abundance whether it be love whether it be people opportunity money there's so much around here and where the harvest is plenty but the workers are few we live in a world where we can really accomplish so much we just don't have the confidence within ourselves to do it and it does break my heart sometimes to see the potential within people die because of their day job, because of their lack of beliefs in themselves, because I know people are capable of so much. So when I hear eternal optimist, I just think of the abundance that we are surrounded by, Matt. Mm, phenomenal. Awesome. Well, continuing with abundance and things that are all around us, if there is a particular song that gets you motivated, inspired, fired up, what's your jam? What is your song or your group? Um, J. Cole is my favorite rapper, and he's got a song called 100 Mil. And it's just something along the lines of like, how come he's still not in his prime, on the grind all this time, 100 Mil, and I'm still on the grind, 100 Mil, and I'm still on the grind. And I mean, I could rap that whole thing, but I mean, the lyrics that really hit, I just love how he says, never pedaled rock, never said a lot, only what need to be said. Got a little guap when you get a lot. No girl would leave you on red. He really hits, like, if you look at the way I lived my life, you could tell that I led. I'm bleeding from fighting my demons head up. And he just goes in on so many lines that resonate with things that I feel in life. If I play 100 mil by J. Cole, I'm out the window. <laughs> I'm ready to go. <laughs> nice. 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 Well, earlier in the discussion, you mentioned a book. You mentioned, what was the name of that book? You said it uh, had an impact on you. No More Mr. Nice Guy? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So that was the book. Are there any other books or anything else that you read or you study that you found some wisdom in that you could share with our audience today? Yeah, I read a lot. Probably one of my favorite books is The Alchemist, Pablo Cielo. It's a really great book. Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself is another really good book by Dr. Joe Dispenza, which kind of helped me with just meditation and manifesting your reality. Actually, in the Noble Knights, when you join the Noble Knights, I have a list of 23 books every man should read in 2023 to jumpstart their growth. And there's a whole list there. Awesome. More reason to go and check out the Noble Knights of Modern Man Mastermind with Mr. Ted Phaeton, who is an amazing meteorologist. You just got a real life sampling of that a minute ago, ladies and gentlemen. So hope you enjoyed that. Four you to 10 a.m. Or you can just go to the website in your own time or his podcast. Ted, it's been a real pleasure and joy to have you on. Just loved your energy. Just people like you who have this way of the perspective of gratitude, the perspective of, man, there's 7 billion people on the planet and look at how much we have. Just be grateful. Be 
grateful. I, just, I love your perspective. I respect you for it, admire you for it, and love you for it. So I want to say thank you for being on the show today. It's been a real honor and a joy to have you. And that's going to be it. That's a wrap, my friend. It's been a pleasure. So thank you. Thank you, Matt. Love you right back. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Eternal Optimist Podcast. You can check the show notes for information about today's episode. And please share the show with that friend who is wanting to think bigger. We'll see you next time.